You're listening to the really useful podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes from makeuseof.com. Welcome to the show. My name is Christian Colley and joining me this week is Ben Stegner. How are you doing, Ben? Doing okay. Uh, back fresh off of a few days off for Thanksgiving and uh, it's that magical time of year between Thanksgiving and Christmas now. So feeling good, feeling excited, uh, ready to record and talk shop here, huh? That's interesting that you should mention that. What, what, is is that is, is Thanksgiving, is that like sort of like a marker point and so like this period now is the build up to Christmas? Yeah, I would say for sure in the U.S. Because oh. Thanksgiving, it's the fourth Thursday in November, not the last. Actually, right. I, and that actually happened this year because the last there's five Thursdays and things in uh in November. November. Yeah, um, yeah. So I I would say that's kind of it's kind of like the unofficial start to the season. Um, there's the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade in New York City on Thanksgiving, and obviously, and then like the end of the parade has Santa a Santa float, and a lot there's like a big debate about when you can start playing Christmas music and kind of the generally accepted cutoff is like after Thanksgiving, you're good to go because people get upset that Thanksgiving doesn't get its its time in the, in the spotlight because Christmas kind right. of overshadows it. So sure. yeah, I would say it's kind of like the Christmas season starts as soon as Thanksgiving's over. Okay. Um, thank you for sharing that, which is uh, exactly why we're here this week. We are discussing sharing, oversharing, sharenting, uh, which is a phrase which I'd only come across once and I'd co- thought it was quite an old one and I'd forgotten about it for a few weeks and I was actually looking for a uh, reference to it earlier on today when uh, Ben helped me out with that. So that was uh, very very good of you, Ben. But we will start with actual sharing news in the news. NVIDIA, the uh, graphics card and many other pieces of hardware, uh, but they're mostly known for graphic card production, are being sued after video call mistake revealed stolen data now according to the lawsuit filed against nvidia this is from the bbc website okay the gentleman was given an online presentation to a team from his former employer car technology firm valio in the course of this presentation valio claims he accidentally displayed a file proving he had stolen tech secrets and valio claims that He's taken the source code behind its parking and driving assistant software, which is an area that NVIDIA has been trying to expand into. It's fascinating that not only that that kind of thing still happens, you know, we're basically talking industrial espionage, uh, for want of a better phrase, but, you know, that's essentially what it is. But that someone's just been sort of caught out in such a blatant manner. It's crazy to me. Like, I think everyone's always had that fear of like accidentally sharing something when you're on a video call or whatever. It it blows my mind that like most people turn on do not disturb and minimize stuff or or, or close it. The fact that you would have like stolen secrets open, like one Mm. misclick and you're going to show that you've stolen this stuff. Like, how are you not more careful? Like if you're brazen enough to steal information like that, how are you not way more careful about not letting it show to everybody on a call? That's crazy. It's uh, it's utterly crazy. And of course, uh, NVIDIA has no interest in Valio's code or its alleged trade secrets, they say. Oh, it's, it's a funny old business, but it, it, it's a beautiful stepping stone for this week's really useful podcast. Guy. A lot of people share stuff they shouldn't do. There is, you know, we're, we're all aware of the phrase oversharing, aren't we? And it happens 
It happens a lot just in conversation. It also happens online. Ben, thought is he, has compiled a list of 10 things you should never share on social media. I'm, I'm, I mean, personally speaking, I'm, I have a very small social media exposure in terms of things that I want to share to people. My Facebook, for example, I re- a couple of years ago, I reduced it down probably by two-thirds because I realised most of the people on there were people I'd worked with or didn't like. And I didn't really have any ongoing relationship with them, so it seemed pointless to uh, retain them. So I just like I cut them all off. That's by the by, but I, I don't share too much myself. But uh, Ben, a lot of people do. So what are these things that you should never share on social media? Yeah, so we can go through the list, and this is definitely not an exhaustive list. Some of the things we'll talk about in a few minutes kind of tie into this too. But since you say that, it's actually good timing. I've been thinking about doing the same thing. I I used to share more when I was first into social media. I would just like tweet about what I was thinking or share whatever yeah. on Facebook. Not like intimate personal details, but just more than I would now. Um, sure. So I, I've, I've been thinking about going through and kind of pruning my friends list to remove people I haven't talked to in a decade, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so that's a very timely tip. Yeah, so all right, so we'll go through 10 things here and uh, you can tell me what you think of these as we go. Um, number one is travel plans. So it's easy to say, hey, you know, we're, we're finally excited to leave for vacation or like even while you're away, like posting pictures. Um, the problem with this one is that letting people know you're away is not wise because if you're telling people that you're not at home, uh, that gives ne'er-do-wells a chance to try to break into your home or do something like that. Obviously, people need to know where you live to do this, but given Mm -hmm. how relatively easy it is to find that information online, you never know when maybe you accidentally make something public instead of friends only, and then someone who knows where you live sees you're going to be in Hawaii for two weeks, and then you can imagine what could happen from there. So not wise to do that. The best thing to do if you want to share that information, when you come back from the trip, then post your picture. So obviously, you're safe at home. Absolutely. When we went to uh, Portugal earlier this year, we uh, took loads of photos, but none of it got shared. Just Uh, just wise to not broadcast that, you know, like hanging a sign on your door saying, hey, we're away for two weeks. I mean, half the town knew we were away, and and my nieces (laughs) were uh, looking after the house. Right, right. And I think maybe Bruce's, uh, uh, because my son was in a dance competition, I think his certificate was shared online, but that was the only thing. Just be aware of yeah, if there hadn't been a dance competition, nothing would have been shared, you know. So, Right, right. It's one of those things of just, that, and the theme you'll see with this list is be careful of what people can infer from what you're sharing. Yeah. Even yeah. if, like, the fact that you're, hey, we're in whatever, that's not a problem itself per se. It's just what they can infer. Um, number two is a little more obvious. It's location data. Um, a lot of social media apps let you tag your post with your location. So that can kind of be the same thing, you know, saying, Hey, I'm not at home or I'm wherever, or maybe you're somewhere. You don't want people to know that you are that sort of thing. Um, depending on where you share your photos too, it's also important to remember that, um, pictures can contain a lot of metadata that tells you about, um, where the picture was taken, the device used to take it, all that stuff. So it's worth making sure that you're not uh, unintentionally sharing that with people when you share your photos on social media so they can't, oh, this photo was taken at your house and here's your exact coordinates. Most social media does strip this out, but it's good to be careful depending on where you share it. Well, check-ins as well, they kind of come into this, don't they? My my cousin does this. Claire, if you're listening, stop doing this. (laughs) Uh, she everywhere she goes she checks in i didn't even know that was still a thing until she started doing it because it used to be uh, an app foursquare foursquare yeah that was old places. school yeah 
And now Facebook has this feature. So she's forever checking into play. She's virtually the only person I know who does it. And I'm thinking, I know exactly where she lives. Lots of people know where she lives. She's out. She's, you know, she's 40 miles away. She's just told everyone she's 40 miles away. So, yes, along the same sort yeah, of Yeah, right. Just just not let, not everyone needs to know where you physically are at a given point in time. So this next one kind of sounds obvious, but you'd be I'm sure everyone has, listening has seen something like this. Uh, personally identifying information in general. Um, sites mm. like Facebook are a goldmine for people that want to use your data for social engineering, which just means using your information against you to, to steal your credentials to a website or to trick you into falling for something. Um, obviously, you should never share your driver's license, your passport, credit card information, even something like your full date of birth, that type of thing can be used to identify you. So someone could use it to call up a company and pretend to be you, that sort of thing. Um, you should also in particular yeah. be aware of the like fun quizzes that sometimes do the round on social media where it's like, where was your first job? Uh, what was your dog's name? That kind of stuff. Because as you might know, those questions are frequently used for security questions on websites. Now, thankfully, those security questions are being phased out because they're very insecure for this reason. But going on a Facebook quiz and saying, hey, my first dog's name was Spot and my favorite color is green and, you know, I went to school at whatever. That's if someone finds that, that could be giving them the keys to break into one of your accounts. So be careful about sharing that as well. It's, it's excellent advice. I try not to share anything online about where I am, who I'm with, how old I am, where I live, that sort of thing. Obviously, you know, if your name's plastered across your account, there's, you know, that stage, you know, you've got a problem, but everything else is manageable, I think. Yeah, just being a double, double checking about what information it contains and just not oversharing, like yeah. you're saying. Um, number four is personal complaints and rants. In general, just don't make things more public than they need to. Don't complain about your boss on social media. Um, don't rant about just frustrations because you never know who's going to see it. Um, if you're complaining about a person, a mutual friend might see it and let them know. If you're complaining about your boss, you might get in trouble at work. And in general, when anything you do these days, if you're applying for a job or anything like that, they're going to check your social media. And if they see that you're a complainer Absolutely. and you're always bad mouthing people and all that kind of stuff, um, that's not good. So just be aware of how you're coming across. If someone looks through your social media, do they see a complainer and an angry person? Very good advice. Couldn't argue with any of that there. Uh, can't really add anything to it. Just, uh, I mean, yeah, just keep it professional. Sure, sure. Obviously that, I mean, I know a lot of people use social media to get a hold of companies. Like if you have a problem with your whatever, a, 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 a whatever it is, your bank or a store, it's you can get on social media and complain to them. But that you can still obviously that should be tactful. Um, but I mean that's complaining, but not. We'll have a second. Not, yeah, right, not the same thing as comp complaining about whatever. My mom's such a jerker. That kind of thing. That's the bad kind of complaining, not an actual grievance with a company. Um, so number yeah. five is self-incriminating evidence. Again, most of these sound obvious, but we see what people do. Um, obviously, yep. if you're doing anything <laughs> illegal, uh, you shouldn't leave that on. You shouldn't be doing it in the first place, but you don't want to leave that on social media. Um, sometimes you'll see, you know, someone took a selfie while they were driving or they made a light. They made a joke about driving drunk, something like that. Uh, it, people even share, you know, pictures of illegal firearms that they have. I mean, I don't. 
most smart people wouldn't do this, but it's worth mentioning. Um, just don't post that stuff on social media. It's just not worth it putting that out there. And you always, obviously you shouldn't be doing it in the first place, but you don't want to share things that are going to get you in big time trouble. There was a um, recent case in the UK where a young man who I think has recently been sentenced for this was basically filming himself for YouTube or TikTok or something doing illegal stuff, like walking into people's houses or shoplifting or assaulting people in the street. And he was getting away with it. It's it's it crazy to me that, weeks, that, that that's like uh, encouraged. Was, yeah. like, like people like were, it's, it's a shame of like how social clout is like the main thing people push for. Like they'll do crazy stuff like walking into yeah. someone's house just to get some clicks on social. It's it's crazy. Yep, absolutely. Uh, number six is expensive new purchases. So kind of the same vein as, as, a, as a vacation plans. It's really natural to say, oh, hey, I got this new TV or here's my new car or whatever. Um, it's kind of the same reasoning. Like we said, telling the world that you have this great new thing um, could result in people wanting to steal it, that kind of thing. Um, I, I mean, it's not hugely likely but you never know if it's hey i got a new tv and then someone knows where you live that kind of thing um or um another kind of side effect to that is that that a lot of the time that kind of thing can kind of contribute to social media's negative aspects of always seeing the highlights of everybody else's lives so if you're sharing oh this tv is so great or whenever i got my new car like that can be a negative thing for people to see obviously you can't help how they take it but i guess consider how wise it is to share things. You know, it's you're, you're more than what you buy, obviously. So be, be aware how that makes you come across. I mean, there was a time when you bought something, you kept it to yourself. You didn't sort of like flash it about. Yeah. I wish we were still in that time. It wasn't <laughs> yes. like a status symbol of like, yeah. Hey, I got this car. Let's show everybody. I know there, there are standards that we used to keep that aren't widely held these days. Let's say. Yeah, I would agree. Number seven is um, advice, uh, personal advice, anything like that. Um, it's pretty common for people to ask for advice about anything on social media, whether it's um, legal advice, financial help, dieting, relationships, anything like that. In general, you probably should not weigh in on that, at least in a public forum. It's very difficult to know all the facts on social media. Like if someone just says, hey, I have this problem, what should I do? There's probably a lot more history there that you're not aware of. And trying to give someone like official advice just based on half the story is not going to be a good idea. You don't want to give advice, especially if it's a sensitive topic like a legal matter or health. You don't want to give someone advice that then comes back to bite you because they did what you recommended and then they got sick and they're under, they're going to try to sue you. Again, probably an extreme example, but you don't want to make like official advice public like that, especially if it could lead to harm for someone. Well, I'm not a big fan of advice. I think a lot of it is, especially unwarranted advice, but um, this is more referring to when yeah. people like ask for it. I don't like being asked. I don't like asking for advice and I definitely don't like giving it. Oh dear me, what an old curmudgeon I'm turning <laughs> into. But yeah, it, it, it can be difficult. It's very difficult to know what to say to someone. And it's very difficult. And this this is a fact that gets that a lot of people don't appreciate. It's very difficult to give the right advice. Yeah, I would agree with some that. Some people just go for it anyway, and it's uh, it's usually it's not a good idea. Yeah, the the much better format is if it's a friend, you know, meet up with them in person and hear the entire story, and then kind of give them 
trusted advice there instead of just spouting off on social and who knows who will see it. Uh, a couple more here. Number eight is scammy giveaways and contests. So this, these aren't, these don't seem to be quite as popular as they used to be. We've all seen on social media. Obviously, it's very easy to click share when you see, you know, share this post to enter to win whatever. Um, there's plenty of legitimate giveaways and things like that, but make sure if you share something like that, it is legitimate. And regardless, it's annoying to just constantly share, you know, share this with 10 friends and blah, 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 because your friends will think that you're just like a way for you to get entries to giveaways and stuff like that. But a lot of some of these, um, social media giveaways are scams. Um, you know, just share this post and win a million dollars from Bill Gates. Like, obviously that's not real. So just take a minute to think about it. Don't share a scam that could lead more people into a trap, uh, or have people give away their sensitive info. The, the only thing you should be doing with scams is telling everyone that they're there and to watch out. That's a kind of, one of the best things about Facebook is you can get an instant message out to people and say, look, for, uh, for instance, if uh, a company is uh, a cold calling scammers, if they're operating, if, if, you know, if they're targeting your area code, then that's useful. That's Facebook's, uh, one, of, one of Facebook's strengths sure. in a sort of local community sort of way. It's not so good for if everyone's on mobile phones these days, of course, because it just means, you know, everyone in the country anyone in the country can be affected potentially but uh, in terms of area codes it's really useful yeah it's something just like even someone like us you know that writes about this stuff to say hey i've been seeing this scam just let your friends and family know and hopefully they can tell their you know parents and grandparents and friends and stuff like that just to be aware of it sure um last two are pretty quick number nine is privileged inside information basically just be careful about exposing things on social media that you are aware of but aren't public so if someone's going to be fired at your job next week uh don't post about that don't post about your company's strategy for the new year um that kind of thing that's that you know that isn't public you could get in trouble for that um and you just shouldn't do it obviously same thing for your family obviously don't yeah. post you know can't believe that uncle steve wasn't at thanksgiving and he's cut off from the, like that kind of stuff just it's it's inside information people don't need to know it don't share it um and then number 10 is kind of a catch-all for everything else we didn't talk about here is just anything you don't want to make public. Um, remember that social media is basically like posting things on the front page of the newspaper of the New York Times. So if you don't, if you wouldn't want to share it with the whole world, potentially don't post it on social media. Even if you set something to friends only, you never know if someone can take a screenshot of it. You know, if you set something to friends only and then you're bad mouthing someone, Someone could take a screenshot of that, send it to the person, that kind of stuff. Um, you never know what you might regret posting a few years from now that could, that, you know, if things change. So just always think about what you want to make public and what's private for just you. Um, so there's a security angle to this, but there's also just like a personal privacy angle of not exposing more of your life than you need to. Now, to kind of complement what Ben was saying there, there is another kind of sharing, which uh, I don't want to say I've not been guilty of, because I'm certain I probably have been at some point, certainly when my children were younger. This is sharenting. So it's portmanteau of sharing and parenting. Um, we all know that we can share photos and facts and information about our lives on social media, but there is a, a thing called sharenting, which is the act of parents' Um, caregivers and relatives of oversharing content about children uh, video images news this goes on the internet typically social media platforms 
in many ways it's good because it allows parents to connect with distant friends and relatives. So that is good. You know, that's a great thing. Pa- distant relatives can see how their uh, how this young offspring is uh, developing and growing. But there is an issue here because critics will say that uh, this activity creates an online identity for children who are not old enough to consent or register on those platforms and exposes them to privacy and security risks. It's a bit of a minefield. Now, my personal take on this, you've got relatives that want to know. You've got children who are going to be proud of things that they've achieved. There's no need to give away information that doesn't need to be given away. There is a happy medium that can be achieved. But there are, of course, reasons that parents shouldn't overshare information. So you've got cyberbullying and social pressure. And we can avoid cyberbullying by not allowing our children on social networks, which is an incredibly simple solution that uh, too many people don't seem that interested in managing to achieve because it means having a conversation about devices or it means doing something really tricky like installing parental control software, which really isn't that difficult at all. Another problem is potential identity theft. And, of course, we've all heard this uh, saying that uh, what goes on the internet stays on the internet. It's not strictly true, but for most of us, information, photos, videos uh, about a child that goes online, when that child matures into an adult, they might find it embarrassing or personal information could prove uh, dangerous. So that's a good reason not to commit sharenting. I've heard some portmanteaus in my time, but I don't think I like that one. I've actually, I'm very familiar with this practice, but I've actually never heard of this term before now. Like I didn't know it had that <laughs> official name. So everything has to have a name now. There's always like a, a term for it, mm. right? Um, yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, there's a few different aspects to this. Um, I feel pretty strongly about it. I, I really, I mean, there's kind of two, there's two kind of things. The the, the, the more practical one for most listeners, I think, and is, ju- is like the stuff you're talking about just sharing pictures on Facebook, lights, you know, just pictures of your kids, stuff like that. From, from that aspect, what I would say is if you're sharing primarily so that like, you know, far away relatives, that kind of thing can can watch your child grow up. I think the best way to do it is make a, a group chat in, a, in an encrypted messaging app like Signal, WhatsApp, whatever, and mm-hmm. use that for your family and to share videos, pictures, whatever of your child, because then you know who is seeing it. It's all people that you trust and it's in an encrypted messenger. Um, that's the best way I would say. Um, I, I, and then the, the other side to this is kind of, it's kind of farther is parents like using their kids as like content online. This, I really despise, uh, to be honest, like people that like film every minute of their kids' lives and and share it online and make videos out of it and take like intimate moments like their child's first steps or their first words or whatever. And they're like always shoving a camera on their kid's face to try to get content out of it. I really don't like that. Um, That's separate from. I, I have no idea how these people have the time. My twins, well, all three of them, but the twins in particular, they have an Instagram account and a YouTube account. They film stuff all the time. And then they want me to edit it and upload it or whatever. <laughs> I mean, the, the dance stuff that we did whilst we were in Portugal, as I mentioned earlier on, I took hours to do. And it's such an achievement. I feel like I've, you know, seriously, I, I feel like I need an Oscar for completing some of these edits sometimes. 
I don't know how these people have the time to not just film so much, but then to upload it as well and put music on it and little sort of little little italic texts saying, oh, yep. about it being a proud moment or whatever, or first steps, the music and stuff. What, what, how are these people doing this? Where, I, where does they, where do they get the time? I guess with like the big YouTubers, it's like their full-time job to make videos with their family. But yeah, for like the average yeah. person doing it, I don't get it. And my, it's to me, it's your child isn't like, it's not something that the world needs to see. Your child can't, can't say like, yes, I want to be in these videos. You know, like yeah, if yeah. your kids were six or seven and you're filming them all the time, like I just don't, it doesn't matter if they're a baby or whatever. It's just not, it's not good to have a camera in their face constantly. And the other thing is no, no matter where you share, there are sick people on the internet and you never know, you know, you could post a picture again, you, if you share it with friends or friends or it's public, that kind of thing is like, you never know who's going to see that picture. There are vile people online. So I, to me, it's just not, worth doing that it's for your kids privacy you know and, and your own peace of mind yeah. like it should be a very yeah. controlled type of thing if you have a family Definitely. picture you know you can all you can blur blur their face out or put a sticker over it or whatever like just like, to me it's not worth it for yourself and for them so there are steps that you can take to minimize the impact of sharing thing first of all don't overpost about your child or children on social media minimize your sharing Second, remove metadata from files, uh, photographs that you've taken and uploaded, turn off geotagging in your camera settings, uh, strip the EXIF data. Enable privacy settings. So set the strictest privacy settings available for uh, family photos, that sort of thing, and ensure that they're only seen by the people who need to see them. If your child is old enough, then you should get their agreement to sharing photos online, basically. You should trim your follow account on Facebook. I would advise that heartily and uh, as ben mentions hide names and faces because you know a quick google search for name could reveal details like uh, their email home address social media accounts all manner of uh, social engineering attacks can be launched based on that information it is a minefield and you know the digital age information is everywhere so uh, retaining privacy for your children is a parental responsibility well it's recommendations times that part of the show where we uh, pull something out of the sack and say hey this is a great thing that i saw played watched experienced recently you should uh, give it a go yourself who wants to go first ben myself or you uh, how about you go first because i'm looking at yours right now and i'm curious okay. how it works it has been brought to my attention that there's a tool called DOSDeck, which is a browser-based tool that allows you to play Crikey. It's now 16 games. When I first looked at this, it was 12 games. Okay. okay. Uh, when I wrote about it recently for my website, it was 14 games. It's now gone up to 16 games. These are DOS-era PC games. So these, uh, these were originally released on MS-DOS. They will all run in your browser thanks to the DOSDeck website. And this is probably the best thing. It's been specifically designed. And if you visit it and you look at the menu across the bottom, it will become apparent. It has been designed to run in the browser on a Steam Deck. Oh, okay. Nice, nice. Hence the name DOSDeck. Yeah, so you have got uh, Beneath a Steel Sky, which is a uh, point-and-click adventure. 
you got the original Lemmings, One Must Fall 2097, Warcraft, Orcs and Humans, Jazz Ooh, yeah. Jackrabbit, yeah, Syndicate, which is a great uh, isometric strategy game. I never played it on PC. I played it on Amiga. I absolutely adored it. It's set in a sort of uh, Blade Runner sort of a world. You've got Doom. You've got Epic Pinball. You've got Disney's The Black Cauldron. You've got Wolfenstein 3D, Command and Conquer, the original, Heretic, Commander Keen, Commander Keen 4, The Lost Bite, The Lost Bikers, <laughs> The Lost... <laughs> the Lost Vikings and Superplex. And you're probably thinking, oh, that's nice. How do they play? Well, I've had a go of Doom and I've had a go on Wolfenstein 3D. And they play absolutely marvellously in a desktop uh, browser. I haven't had a chance to play them on the Steam Deck, but I am assured that they play just as well. It's amazing that these games will now fit into your browser. Yeah, they're browser. that relatively lightweight that they don't need like a massive file yeah. for them. <laughs> yeah. And it's a great way. Use, there's no messing around with emulators. They run out of the browser. You don't have to install MS DOS, uh, DOSBox or PC DOSBox or whatever, any of those things. There's no emulation required. You go to the website, you click the game, the game screen starts. Can't get much better than that. This is me clicking Jazz Jackrabbit. And it's perfect. This is what emulation is all about. Now, I'm not saying there's no emulation. It's in there. It's all automatic. It's happening behind the scenes. That's the beginning of Jazz Jack Rabbit. It's just such a great system. I have never I played it. the first Jazz Jack Rabbit, which I should remedy, but we had the second one on our computer growing up when I was a kid, and I remember watching my dad play it a little bit and myself playing it a little bit. That game has a fantastic soundtrack. I remember that too. It's like a 2D yeah. run and gun type of game. Um, I should play through that again because I don't remember yep. very much. I don't remember very much of it at all. But yeah, yeah excellent soundtrack. Awesome. If you're into game music, definitely listen to, through the, to the Jazz Jackrabbit 2 soundtrack. That was an early Epic Games game. It was when they were called Epic Mega Games, I'm pretty sure. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, so that's dosdeck.com. And, you know, it'll work on any handheld gaming system. I mean, I've uh, experienced a couple of them now, aside from the Steam Deck. And I've, I do find the Steam Deck the most comfortable. But it might be something to do with the side of my hands. I don't know. But uh, whichever one you, whichever PC style handheld gaming system you've got, you, you've got a browser. Only if it works on Xbox. I would have, probably, as long as the controller input is, mm. is recognized because it has a browser. Yeah. Yeah. Some, I mean, some of them uh, require a keyboard, but uh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So that's uh, Dostek. Check that out. Ben, what have you got? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of checking it out, just I, one of the underrated things I find about this site, I really like the sound effects. Like when you click between like games and about, it's like a very pleasing, like, ding. I don't know. It's, it's hard to describe. It's just a very pleasant old school sound. It's the um, Steam Deck sounds. That's what oh, it the is? Steam Deck sounds like. Oh, okay. Yeah, I yeah. like the sound a lot. It's very crisp. Um, okay, moving on. My recommendation is an app called Hopper. It's There's a website as well, but the website basically just funnels you to the app. So if you want to check it out, you'll need the app. Um, Hopper is a flight booking app. There's other things you can do with it, like booking hotels and cars, but I focused on flights for now. So I believe I've talked about tools like this before, but what makes Hopper unique is that it is built around um, finding the best price. If you're not too 
um, specific on when you want to fly. So obviously if you're flying for a specific day, like a wedding or something, probably not much flexibility, Mm -hmm. but if you have the option to choose when you want to fly, you can look at the calendar and it will tell you the uh, supposed prices. So just as an example, if I pull up the calendar and say, I want to fly to Boston, I can look at every day and it's color coded where green is $210 ish. And so it goes green, yellow, orange, red, and red is $270. So you can see the range and each day I can see when it's more expensive to fly or not. And once you actually pick a date, it will tell you, um, some information about that date. So for example, I've just picked January 24th to the 31st just to make something up. It tells you the current lowest price is $150. And then it says, um, it tells you some historical information. So it says Hopper hasn't seen a price this low for the past three weeks. If you're ready to book, you should do it now. Um, there's also the option to watch the price so you can mark a slider and then, um, it'll tell you if the price drops when it has the best deal. And it'll also probably, it'll also tell you what will probably happen in the future. So in this case, it says prices will vary over the next six weeks, but if you wait, it'll probably cost you at least $20 more. And then after January 11th, prices are expected to climb at least $125. Um, So if anytime you're trying to book a flight and you're mostly concerned about the price and your dates are flexible, um, this is a great way to do it. Um, I used it recently to book a trip. I didn't actually end up booking my trip on Hopper because I booked it with United Airlines and I went to United site and it was actually cheaper to book it with the airline directly than it was to book it through Hopper. So you should still check the price, but um, the main benefit that Hopper has is that you are able to look at the price every day rather than something like Skyscanner, which I believe I've recommended on the show before. Um, Skyscanner is great for comparing flights across airlines, but um, it is not really great for looking at the price like day by day. You have to pull a day up, look at the price, and then try a different day. So Hopper is really good if you're looking to book a flight whenever it is in the near future or like months and months away um, to see when the prices are the lowest, what you might gain or lose by waiting, uh, and then to help that plan your trip. So not probably not the only app that you want to use for a flight, but if the price is your main concern, and I'm sure it is for most people, then um, you can make sure that you're spending as little as possible through this. Um, and of course, it has the, the usual options of sorting by um, the best flight, you know, the least amount of time. Um, you can choose to avoid basic fares on uh, budget airlines like Spirit if you want to do that, um, yeah, that kind of thing. So there's a lot there. It also has the option, like I said, to book a um, book a car if you go somewhere. I have not used it for that but it's definitely a tool that should be in your kit uh, if you are uh, traveling soon. So that is Hopper. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, so the, check that app out. Uh, we're at the end of the really useful podcast. Remember that everything we discuss, we include in the show notes for you. So you can uh, check those out, uh, find out a bit more about the topics we're discussing, and uh, hopefully they will be of use to you. We'll be back for another show next week with myself and Gavin. Until then, take care. Bye for now. <laughs>